It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at cboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at cboc.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor, too. He is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Work Cookie, our weekly gathering of IOs, HRs, recruiters, and one actor as we try to make the world of work just a little bit better. And today, Jeremy, we're going to talk about from burnout to balance, redefining work-life integration. Uh, I live in burnout, and I'm fascinated to hear about this balance thing you talk about. So where, you know, what advice can you give me to off the start? And and is the, most of the world like me where we all know what burnout is and we're striving for balance, but it's an elusive thing? It is elusive, but are, you know, most things in life are. And I go back to this, this human, qu- like we're human, right? I think one of the one of the biggest takeaways from this particular article is um, because so we actually were talking about this article before we hit record. So maybe I should introduce what we're talking about here today. So for the audience, um, it's called Rethinking Work Life, Rethinking the Work Life Interface. It's not about balance. It's about resource allocation. And that's an article that's in Applied Psychology, Health, and Well-Being. It is from 2010. And it's almost this, it's this concept of instead of doing things to just minimize discomfort, actively seek comfort. So how can we take resources and be very purposeful with the resources that we have? There's a lot of interesting, um, of course, in the literature review, there's all kinds of interesting anecdotes and things that have been found in other studies. They talk about, it's called PRA, which is personal resource allocation. And they build on all kinds of different theories, um, self-control theories, self-determination theory, conservation of resources theory, and just lots of different theories, right? But right. within those theories becomes, okay, we studied this, but I'll give you a quick thing from here. And again, this is from 2007, according to some estimates, the total cost of stress on people in the workplace might be as high as 300 billion annually. And we jump, you know, 16 years later, and that was from the American Psychological Association. We can just imagine that we're probably at a trillion, I would imagine so far. Uh, but the whole, the whole purpose of this article and what we might talk about today was instead of looking at all right, so there's this clear line between work and this clear line between your non-work types of things. How do you start to integrate that and no longer look at it as it's an either or kind of thing? Think of it more of it's an overarching part of life when you integrate these things. A little unclear now because we're just starting out, but when we get into it, we're really going to hit that. People say it's not about work-life I think I heard Lee say there's no such thing about work-life balance before. Maybe, Lee? <laughs> you know, it might have been a couple months ago. But I think I remember hearing you say that. But we're going to get into that. 
part as well. Tom? Well, I find it really interesting because, you know, Dr. Patricia Delgado often speaks about the gap between knowledge and implementation and it being like 17, 18 years. And here we are looking at work-life balance, you know, or, or balance in itself, you know, and looking at research that was done over a decade ago. So I find it fascinating that, you know, I can remember, you know, in 2010, and I certainly wasn't talking about, you know, finding balance in my life. Uh, but now it seems, especially after the pandemic and what everyone went through, that this is more important now and we're starting to listen. So do you think we're like, I know I'm ready, <laughs> but do you think that the the rest of the world out there is ready to to grasp this sort of concept of, you know, maybe there is no work-life balance and it's all just about balance. So I'm fascinated to find out, you know, what I can learn. But do you feel there's a shift as well with with the business world where all of a sudden this is important now? It's it. So the, the one thing that struck me in, in looking at this article is it was really heavy on the individual piece on what we can do as individuals. And then it went down, you know, towards the other um, part. It said, hey, here are the organizational implications. And it struck me that there wasn't much there. It was very that I found that I maybe I'd, I wasn't paying attention, but I took a thorough look. It was really, okay, there's four different things. We can focus on, you know, and pay employees how they should, give them their vacation, have a wellness. It was very dry. Have a wellness program, these very basic kinds of approaches. Granted, the article, this was published 13 years ago. Some things have changed. But as we talk, I think we talked about this within the past couple of weeks. And Tom, you're a big fan of this. It's not about, okay. Let's give everyone a cafe in their in their workplace and a gym and you know pools and and carnivals because that's not really what we need. So it's not about necessarily doing that, but I think it is about having more of a structured wellness program and not just throwing it out there for organizations. There are so many organizations that have, I mean, if you work, your organization probably has a like financial classes that you can take. Take advantage of those. They don't, organizations don't do a good job of marketing the internal resources that we have. I was talking with a company two weeks ago who has this tremendous wellness program and this is really just all around everything. Like they'll teach their, their employees about their finances, teach them about how to best use the daycare resources, but they don't market it. And therefore, it's something like 8% of the employees have taken advantage of this this really, really good program that's been out there. That, to me, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But make sure you're marketing the, re the, the programs that you have and try to build that in somehow to the day-to-day. -day. Talk to, make sure managers are, are sharing resources. But it's really, especially if you have something that good, market it. But if you don't have something that good, again... It doesn't have to cost a lot of money. It's not about just throwing money and, and resources at, at people. We've talked about so many times, Tom, but I'm going to go back to you. Well, and I'm going to pass it right to Linda Ann. I've given this topic a fair bit of thought over time. And I think one of the, the keys is to make sure that two things, that one, the individuals have the skill set to draw boundaries and manage their time. Without those skills, it really doesn't matter what's going on anywhere else. That integration part is going to be extremely difficult and be stressful. The other thing, too, is does the organization 
really prioritize their employees. So if the employee has that skill set, that ability to say, nope, here's my boundary on time or when I'm willing to have it affect my life when I'm home or however that is, if they're willing to accept someone's ability to draw boundaries and manage their time, then then this can work. But if they're not, it's it's beating your head against the wall, right? So there's two real pieces there. Additionally, when you look at the different generations in the workforce, Gen Zs tend to be have learned and they've been taught in a collaborative environment. They've been taught how to work collaboratively in teams and things like that. Your your later millennials and your boomer, um, yeah, boomers are more individually competitive. They're more defined and and prioritize, you know, what does it take to get ahead as an individual and how do I, you know, basically cut throat of of just whatever it takes to get ahead. And that's not the operating system for your for your Gen Z people. So it's a pretty complicated process, but I think we need to make sure that one, that people actually have been taught and in part of the 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 wellness mental health piece of that is to make sure that they've been taught how to draw those boundaries and manage their time appropriately. I'm wondering, Lynn, with your experience, if organizations have a tendency to uh, use these health and wellness programs as a bit of a carrot, uh, especially when they're looking for employees, they're you know they they need workers. They have these great programs, but then when the economy changes and all of a sudden I've got lots of workers and I don't care how I treat them anymore. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden these programs start to vanish. So do you see that at all? Or once organizations commit to these type of programs, they see the benefit and they're willing to continue them even when times are tough. I think it depends on the program. And I don't think that we the programs have been around long enough for us to see that cycle. Right. We're looking at a time when the old, where they, where they refer to traditional processes and, and workers' and skills and, and the way they approach work is being, fa- you know, generationally phased out, right? And you're not going to have an option anymore. You know, that mental health piece and that ability to draw boundaries and have time management and to function as a healthy human being is something that hopefully is being filtered up to for people who experience life the same way, right? (laughs) Well, we can certainly hope. Thank you for that. Lee, let's go to you. Yeah, the interesting thing about this whole concept is is all the various pieces of it, because at the most basic level, we're responsible for ourselves. And, you know, it comes down to clear communication, managing expectations, and setting those boundaries and, and sticking to them. Uh, which you know, I mean, sometimes easier than others. Depends on the the organization and your and your supervisor and all these other factors. And then, and then, but moving up from that level, it requires a supervisor who understands that a burned out employee is not doing me any good. You know, I need them to give their best while they're here. And there, there's a point of diminishing returns. I mean, if I keep people, you know, 10, 12, 14 hours a day, am I really getting anything more than keeping them for you know eight? You know, arguably, no. There's research out there that shows that the optimal workday is somewhere around actually six. The newer thinking is to be smarter about this. And, you know, you know, more is not always better. I want you to go home. I want you to disconnect. I want you to not answer your phone. I want you to get a good night's sleep, spend some time with your family, have a good meal, blah, 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 and come back tomorrow ready to work. That's what I want. 
you know, and it was an interesting paradigm when I was when I was still in uniform because when deployed or something, I mean, you are on. I mean, I, I've had commanders who were like, oh, we only work half day, you know, meaning 12 hours. You know, and then you had watches on top of your duty day and all these kind of things, you know, this craziness. And so I was fortunate enough in several of my my staff commands to they try to make up that. We know your life sucks when you go out, but while you're here, we're going to try to make this a little bit better. I mean, the base I retired from, every building had a gym, nice. which was a little overkill, but they, they had that. And which really was more of a benefit for like some of our like contract employees who can't use the base gym, but they can use the gym in the building they work in. So there, there's that. I always did the best that I could to get people out. You know, you can do You can do nothing anywhere. Yeah. Why do I need you sitting at your desk? You know, I mean, as long as somebody's there to answer the phone, everybody doesn't have to be there. So, you know, when you have a little bit of flexibility to do that, it, it makes a big difference. But then it goes all the way to the top. I mean, you really have to you have to model the behavior that you want, because like, you know, in the Navy, physical fitness is part of the job. Right. You get a, you get a test every six months that shows that you were in some kind of physical condition that you're not going to just kick over and die, which is really all that measures. But the. But even being part of your thing and, and even in the uh, in the regulations is say you have a certain amount of time during your workday, you were allowed to go and exercise. The older group is like, yeah, your workday, we owe you 24 hours. So your workday doesn't stop. So you can leave. You can go to the gym when you get off work. And, and so then as the newer group comes in and the mental health gets prioritized and burnout gets recognized, then more people are, are being encouraged to go and do it, not just allowed. I mean, I worked for, you know, high up a two-star admiral who would actually show up at exercise sessions, group sessions. And and for people who were supposed to be there, you might ought to be there when the big boss is there. Because if he passes you in the hall later and goes, hmm, where were you this morning? You know, that sort of thing. But that was leading from the top, showing that this is my expectation and I'm, I'm walking the walk. And so if you if you have a gym on site or something and you go and you see the CEOs and they're working out and, and he doesn't give you the stink eye, he just says, hey, how you doing? You're going to have have more of that. And, and this whole work from home thing during uh, COVID and everything, the organizations I've worked in that allowed work from home, they were very specific rules. Like you had to have a separate place to work and all these kind of things. And they were going for no distraction. But the flip side of that is true as well. In my office, when my workday is done, I walk out of my office. I'm not sitting at my dining room table or anything else. You know, my computer and stuff in my office, and I'm not. And, and that's one thing that I think a lot of people in the work from home don't disconnect. So, you know, there's that balance between, yeah, I can go sit in my easy chair and, you know, the workday's over, dude. Put it down. Well, let me ask you, Lee, because you, you mentioned communication as one of the aspects of, of making sure that this actually happens. And, you know, a CEO or a two-star admiral shows up for a workout that's a great way to communicate that this is important. But we've often talked about how, you know, especially the managers, the middle people, communication is not great. So what did they do in the military? Or what are you seeing now that they're using communication effectively to get this message across? Well, you know, I, I can only speak anecdotally, you know, outside of my own experience. But in my experience, even the middle management is leading by example. So... I would go exercise in the middle of the day. Nice. You know, hey, guys, I'm going for a run. I'll see you guys in a bit. And if people weren't, then I'd say, hey, if, you, if you've if you been going to the gym, you know, you can you could schedule some time to go in. And I would encourage them to do that. 
you know, and, and some people just had their things. Some people wanted to be out at five in the morning or whatever, you know, some kind of craziness, uh, you know, super high speed, low drag kind of whatever and get on them. But and especially if they were struggling on their their semi-annual fitness test, then it may be they not just get encouraged, but they get an invitation to join me. And I trained several people who just needed that motivation and said, hey, can I come along? Come on. Let's see what we can do. So, but yeah, you, you do have to definitely, you have to mirror that. And, and I do the same thing with, in my current role, I told, I told the people I work for, it's an outside of, of the merchant situations. I don't do teams, Slack, email or whatever on my phone. If you need me, call me yep. because I don't work 24 seven anymore. And for the most part, they, they honor that, you know, I mean, we did have some, I do have some incident response kind of things that I have to work with. And then, okay. That's a little different, but on my normal day, if the world is on fire, call me. Otherwise, I'll talk to you tomorrow. And if you need motivation for that workout, give Lee a call as well. Uh, Dr. Jeremy, Dr. Jeremy, let's go to you. Lee mentioned uh, motivation, and on on that note is is what I'm going to share. I often find when I'm looking through these articles that I'll I start to tie things together, and then I end up like when I'm sharing, as I will, going backwards. So this is going to be a, a little backwards for those of you who are following along uh, from page 139. And then for those of you listening to the podcast, the, the references in the show notes. But an interesting thing, there's evidence that emotion-focused coping strategies can help when people lack control over demands. So here we're going to start, start to tie a bunch of things together. A lot of so we're look talking about work-life balance and and preventing burnout. So we're talking about what can be seen as integration. When people expend resources just to cope with negative emotions that are a result from existing demands, they're more likely to experience negative outcomes. So if you're not if you're not expending resources to actually meet demands, you're going to experience negative outcomes. An easy example is, okay, I, I want to work on this hobby at night, but I keep getting pinged on my email or I keep having to to work late, right? That's but what's what's what might somebody do? Instead of being proactive about it, it's really just coping. So it might be a simple thing here, it might be a simple thing there. It might be, okay, take a break and play a game on your phone for 15 minutes. It might be try to try to catch an episode of whatever it might be. That's just trying to minimize the negative rather than trying to maximize the positives of it. I was listening to a podcast this week. Uh, some of you might know Gary Brecka. I'm I'm new to Gary Brecka. He's a, I just pulled up his website, human biologist, biohacker, researcher, anti-aging and longevity e- expert. It made me think of this quote that I had remembered from the web, from this page, aging is the aggressive pursuit of comfort. So when we look at, me, you know, at modern medicine, in the healthcare system, it's to reduce discomfort rather than pursuing comfort. And I think there's a good parallel here where you're where you're pursuing and you're being proactive about how to make sure that you're not overextending. And here's, I'm going to go backwards in this article. Another quote here, people who live beyond their means as a way to obtain their ideal lifestyle tend to experience symptoms of anxiety and depression in addition to substantial debt, because we're talking about all kinds of resources. We're talking about emotional, cognitive, financial, time, you know, think of all the different resources that that we have as individuals and they're limited. So instead of trying to do all of it 
the idea here and the ta- one of the main takeaways from this research is prioritize. Pick what's important and laser focus on that rather than just try to fit everything in to live an ideal lifestyle. So we go back to that particular example of working late and not having time for hobbies. Maybe if that's a priority, let's say you like uh, woodworking. Maybe you start to break that up into manageable tasks that you can complete at a half hour at a time when you're not getting pinged, right? So you're still making some progress towards that hobby. I mean, that's probably not the best way to go about it. The best way would be really to figure out what's going on and make sure that you're able to have hours at a time, try to work with your with, with your company, try to set your own, try to set boundaries so that you're not working late every night, right? There's other ways, but just for simplicity's sake, focus on what the important thing is and really focus and, and laser hone on that. Tom? Do, Jeremy, do you find that, especially with the organizations that you get to talk to, that you are they open to doing this sort of thing? Because I'm thinking about, you know, pushback from the top on what do you mean I can't ping you after 4.30 in the afternoon? Does that need to be negotiated? And are organizations really open to making those changes? You know, you pick 10 organizations, you probably get half and half or 30% or it's so hard to tell. I've seen a lot. A lot of what I've seen recently is that organizations are Yes, we want your work-life balance. You know, people even have emails saying, "Hey, our organization appre- appreciates." And again, we're calling it work-life balance, but we shouldn't hear right. work-life stuff. So, if this is past business hours, you know, you, we won't. I won't respond, and, and that goes to their internal employees and also to like clients and customers, for example. However, I've also seen with some organizations where they say it and they and they push it. But the actual reality of it is completely different. I was speaking with a client last month and even on vacation, he said, the company's great with, hey, take your time off. Don't don't be working all hours of the night and weekends. But then when it comes down to it, it is a, all right, I'm on a vacation for a week and people are still scheduling me for meetings with clients. People are still, right? So <laughs> there is a difference between the say and the do. Well, thank you very much for that. Alexander, let's go to you. So I'm going to loop back around to the question of, are we seeing these programs really stay in there? And I'm going to also want to ask Linda Ann on this, because I think she will know better than I will. So I'll be quite curious to hear her opinion on it. But what I am seeing is largely when we're going through the mergers and acquisitions, we're seeing some of these companies get rid of these programs, but I seem to be seeing more that are kind of latching on to the company that has the better HR resources right now. Um, It seems to be kind of more new within the last two years that I've seen this, but I'm definitely starting to see that. However, I'm also seeing that they're not really truly investing in HR. I just was looking right before I started talking at a company, it's got over 200 employees and they have one HR person and one recruiter. For 200 employees, that is not enough. And so I start to see those areas where, yes, they are starting to take the people who are better of the HR departments of the companies they've taken over, but they're still not really making the true investment that's needed for their HR part. And yes, that company has horrible reviews on Glassdoor. Uh, well, Dr. Kelly, I'll come to you in a second, but Linda Ann, I would love to hear, um, is that what you're seeing out there? Yeah, there's there's really been 
I, I have seen where where human resources has been diminished over overall, right? Where there is a, a greater expectation of the the one human resources person to, and that generalist who's the jack of all trains and supposed to do everything to a higher ratio. And it used to be that it was a one to a hundred ratio at a maximum. And I was, you know, I've been in situations where I was at like a 60 to 70, but I was doing the recruiting too. But still that was, that was a lot, you know, when you're talking about benefits and all those kinds of things and coaching your managers to learn how to lead. Right. When you say when you're going through that coaching process and helping people grow and develop instead of helping them understand how to set up their performance expectations and all those pieces that are really critical to developing a healthy, scalable organization. Yeah, you're just compromising so much. And basically with that one to 200 ratio with a a recruiter, you've got somebody recruiting for the turnover you have. Right. And all the HR person is doing is onboarding people, right? Onboarding and offboarding, onboarding and offboarding. That's pretty much all that's really happening there. So yes, I have seen that and it's it's not effective. <laughs> and for the person, for the human resource person that's in that position, life is hell because you have no support system, right? You have to do a lot of difficult conversations and nobody's ever happy about it and you've got no outlet. And so the turnover in that position is going to be significant as well. So yeah, that's, if you want to look at a how not to, that would be it. If you burn out HR, you're probably in trouble. (laughs) You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. We'll be right back after this break. Please subscribe to the podcast because it helps us out and it helps the field of IO. And if you are in or getting into the industrial organizational psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking for support to jumpstart your career, blaze your IO path, and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. If you're a more established IO practitioner, check out our expert membership to showcase your expertise, build your brand, and be part of our initiatives. Do you lead a university's IO or applied IO psychology program? Go to cbock.com, get in touch to partner with us to build your program's brand and get solid real-world support for your students. Let us do the heavy lifting for their engagement and experiences. And businesses, get in touch. We've got the bank of experts you need for coaching, consultation, and program development and execution. Welcome back. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. All right, Dr. Kelly, let's go to you. Yeah, so I just wanted to kind of touch on something that Jeremy said too about, you know, priorities. And I think that, you know, the term work-life balance has kind of evolved over time. So maybe it's time for another like redefinition of the term. So we used to be work-family balance, but now it's work-life balance. And so I like to turn I like to think of it in terms of like work and non-work. So I think there's a bit of like a redefinition of, you know, what does work mean to me? And so people are kind of rethinking about you know, what do I want my work role to provide that my other roles can't provide? So I have this parenting role, or I have this athlete role, like I like to work out. So I'm going to be an athlete. Um, I have this other hobby role that I want to participate in. So I think it's really 
kind of interesting to see, you know, the different roles that are important to people. So work-life balance or alignment will look different for different people. And so I think being able, organizations being able to offer different resources, whether it's a gym or whether it's a healthcare resource or a mental health resource, or, you know, kind of being able to set those boundaries at the end of the workday to kind of disconnect and, and go enjoy another role that you like participating in that maybe also gives you purpose and meaning in your life, um, but it's not necessarily a paid work role. So I think that there's just some, you know, redefining of what work means to people. And I think it might take some time for like the work-life balance terminology to catch up, but just kind of thinking about it in terms of, you know, what do employees want to work to mean to them, but also kind of their interests outside of work are also important to them. So how can organizations, you know, support their well-being overall as kind of that whole person talent management? Uh, I like what you're saying, but you know, if I put on a, a hat of a chief financial officer, my first question is going to be, how much is this going to cost me? <laughs> and, and is it? But but you know, I consider and go, yeah, but it's probably going to affect the bottom line positively if you've got better employees who are happier and who have more balance. So, mm-hmm. is that what you see as well? Yeah, so I think it really goes back to kind of what we've been talking about too. Uh, Linda Ann, I think, mentioned it initially about, you know, the skills that employees need to kind of actually engage in, you know, managing their time, setting these boundaries. And then, yeah, from the organization perspective, it's really getting that buy-in in terms of, you know, if a person is happier overall, they're going to also be happier at work. So they're going to be more productive, more engaged and better team players as well. So I think it's just kind of making that case for that intervention or, you know, that boundary setting or that culture from the organization perspective. And then, you know, those effects will trickle down into their performance. Well, thank you very much for that. Dr. Jeremy, back to you. I'm going to, I'm going to speak to what Kelly said about kind of how the, uh, the, the, the definition of, of each has been changing. Then I'm going to go over to what Linda Ann mentioned about kind of the role of HR diminishing a little bit. And then I'm going to tie into that something that's so provocative. I have no choice, Tom, but to say a friend had the idea to do X. So that's where I'm going to go for now. So I'm going to read. So on page 135 of this article, it's, it's pretty interesting. So when you look at this, this personal resource allocation framework that we're talking about, that framework defines demands in a much broader sense than in, in the past, how they've been defined in terms of here's work, here's family, or here's life in terms of the demands. So this framework defines demands as anything that competes for personal resources, anything people feel they have to do, as well as anything they want to do potentially constitutes a demand for our time, energy, and financial resources. This is often missed in the work-life balance literature, where work demands are often stacked against family demands and responsibilities, while ignoring other actual demands on people's resources, like social life, personal life pursuits, exercise, sleep, and so forth. So the narrow definition of demands when we talk about work-life balance that limits our understanding of the role of life in general. And this is this is where my eyes and, and mind went to when Kelly was talking. As mentioned above, it tends to exclude activities that people prefer to pursue in favor of activities that were required. So that's what we're talking about again. Like just social life and hobbies, that demands energy. But here's where it gets flipped. There is something called, there's a synergistic phenomenon called facilitation. Now, with this, experiences in one life domain can produce energy 
in another life domain. Basically, if you take a vacation, you might be refreshed to be better at work, right? That's kind of the, the gist of that. So that positive spillover, when you have life experience providing energy towards another, can result from behaviors, affective experiences, meaning like you have a good experience here, it produces energy, and therefore it spills over, and also value-based instrumental experiences so values right you have your values and they some and they they end up becoming aligned with for example organizations values so now i'm going to talk about that spillover and with linda ann saying how human resources has just become keep the company out of legal hot water do this do that what would happen so here's what i'm talking about that spillover this is what a friend suggested to me tom what if you noticed a, I'm going to go, you know, executive, and then I'm going to go like frontline worker. So what if you have an executive who is just he heading towards burnout and you know, this executive has always wanted to go on, I don't know, a hiking trip, a three-day hiking trip. What would happen if human resources or maybe a colleague or maybe that person's boss went ahead and helped them find, day, you know, schedule it for them find a retreat, go, you know, go online, find a retreat nearby that lasted three days within the budget that the, the, the person said, I can fit this budget, scheduled things and help that person get going. Because otherwise, a year has passed, two years has passed, three years has passed, and that person still hasn't gone on that retreat and is now getting burnt out. It's almost like you mentioned, Tom, you know, upper management is going to say, well, what is this going to cost the company? It's back to that old, what if we train people and they leave? And then the response is, what if you, what if you train them? What if you don't train them and they stay? What if you do this? Then of course I, I, I get it because my, my friend wasn't thinking clearly, obviously. And then there's that, well, then we have to do that for everyone. Well, we don't have time. Our, our HR, they, they have other things to do. Well, is the company liable? That's why my friend said it, Tom, and not me. Now, if you take, let's just take, um, let's just take some, uh, you know, frontline workers, for example, and maybe there's a group and they've always wanted to go to, uh, to a craft show or to a car show or whatever it is, and they don't work on the weekends, but they are continuously working 10, 12 hour days. They're, they're run amok. What would happen if a boss or human resources found something, scheduled it, took care of, you know, I made sure transportation's good. Again, you don't have to pay for it, but just getting it all set up. I guarantee that the the people either on the, the retreat or at the craft show or the car show, I guarantee, what are they going to be talking about? My company helped set this up. My company this, my company that. And that is going to be A, a source of appreciation for the company, which then gets to that one of the biggest psychological factors of ever getting anything done is reciprocation. So now they're going to feel the need to reciprocate to the company and work even harder when they get back. Plus they got to have that respite. So now they come back more refreshed. It's just, and, and you, when you look at it, how long did that take? I don't know. Maybe it took one person three hours to do to get seven people who went to the, uh, the craft show or the car show to come back and work their butts off extra hard for at least a week or two, or an executive who is much more uh, well-poised, relaxed, and has the mental faculties to be able to 
you know, manage a, a new organizational change or a restructure, Tom? That's all I got de- That's definitely a company I want to work for. I mean, <laughs> and I like the expanded role of HR. I think that's a great idea. Uh, and Mandy, let's go to you. Hi, everyone. Thank you. I hope you can hear me. I can only speak hi. I'm not feeling well. Yeah, apparently, diagnosed with COVID this week. But that's exactly what I wanted to talk about, um, what Jeremy just addressed. You know, companies getting involved and helping their employees at least get these things done. Because in most cases, you do have employees, but at the end of the day, they're only human. And most of us struggle, especially with the whole this toxic positivity, the whole attitude of wanting to maintain positive feelings and vibes only. And for most of for most part, when your organization is not doing it, you don't want to run in trouble with them. So you just want to keep playing along. As in, why don't these people just bring these resources nearer to people? Even in terms of communication, what Lee talked about before. We do have incentives in organizations. You're not communicating about them. I don't even know about them. You guys, I don't know if it's going to be so embarrassing. Just as of this time around, for the first time, I I got to know I have floating hours that expects, <laughs> expire in a year. I didn't even know how to use them. I had to look into it this time around when I was extremely sick. I'm chasing people around to just tell me what to do. And then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to apply for vacation. And now, no, you can't apply for vacation last minute like that. So I'm like confused. I'm like, I'm literally sick. I really want to use time off. I have all this time on me, floating hours, self-care days, sick days. And I'm like... It's real. People just don't know this information. As much as you keep sending out information on different things, on organizational stuff, why don't you just, the whole self-development thing, why don't you just bring these things near to the people, showing even them how to use these things, the filling out of forms. Some of us even know sometimes these um, lending companies, they take you through all this paperwork so you can rethink through, do you really need this debt? You know, so it can also feel the same way you're taking us through all this paperwork. We just don't know. We have to even get this knowledge. The whole process, you end up being exhausted. You're like, to hell with it. Let me just get back to work. But then you're really stressed. You really needed your time. Because by the time people, especially, I'm going to speak for people like me, by the time you come up and you're like, I really need this right now, you really badly need it. Like, we, first of all, even we have people at home who get questioned, like, why are you taking time off? You're sick, but I'll ask you, why are you taking time off? So by the time people like us come to be like, okay, I need my time off. I'm really literally sick right now. You just want to get to it, but you don't even know where to start from. You have to chase around managers to ask them questions. And then by the time you're doing all that, you're feeling like the whole positive toxicity thing that you're being a little bit, am I being right? Are they going to see me in this way? It, it is hell. It was hell for me to even just allocate the rightful time for me to get time off while, you know, sick. And also at the end of the day to just admit that I'm even sick for me to take my time off. It, it was really bad. So organizations, in as much as we're having self-development, giving all these people all this knowledge, we do have the incentives. I, for myself, know that work-life balance is something good. But sometimes also taking it, the whole process of the whole idea of how do I look at my time and stuff can be exhausting. And I'm just like, you know, 
to hell with this. Let me just get back to work. But mind you, I'm not okay. I'm getting back to work and I'm burning myself out. So all I'm just saying, organizations, communication, in as much as you're communicating other things for organization, bring the resources near to people. Yes, they are there, but there's people in your organizations who don't know how to allocate these things, how to use them. The people, if you took the initiative of doing it yourself, they will understand, okay, they really support this, but not just saying it's there. Because sometimes also some people even taking it, they feel guilty. Is it right? Is it not right? It's their time. Yeah. But if you're not even making any effort of what Jeremy is talking about, you know, taking an initiative and going a step further for me to know, oh, my organization is up for this, we're going to have trouble. People are struggling. People I know, especially people who have had organizational trauma. I've seen a study that has come up that people, uh, Nelson has put out. I think Nelson, she put out a, a study recently, Trauma Within Black People. And it was a good study I participated in, but it is real. We do have the incentives, but we just we don't have just enough information on how to use them or even just waiting on organization to really put that extra effort that Jeremy was talking about. So thank you so much. You know, you're absolutely right, Amani. I, I, I remember working for an organization where we actually did have mental health days. I think we were allowed three per year, but everybody was so busy. It was like you never had time. Uh, because you would just fall further behind. Um, Alexander, let's go back to you. Uh, first, I just want to say, I hope you get to feeling better. That sounds truly awful. COVID is miserable. I wanted to talk about kind of the situation that we have around the changes of how people are working and how that's really affecting people. I think that's a really big part of it. We start to see these aspects where People from older generations, from the Gen Z, aren't really being able to do those same collaborative bits. And I see where a lot of times those projects really struggle, have hard issues, sometimes fail because the people haven't been able to work collectively together like the Gen Z needs to. Um, I believe, isn't it supposed to be by 2030, they're 36% of our entire workforce. So it's not like it's a small amount of our workforce that we're talking about here. Plus, it's going to be our future workforce. And those are those interesting bits where when we loop it back in, what does it cost to not start to make those changes? It really is extremely costly. We already are seeing people not wanting to accept jobs from companies that are not providing the same type of services as other companies who provide those more collaborative bits. How do we start addressing that? And how do we get the people in the higher levels to truly understand those costs? I think it's always the perpetual challenge. But I think we're starting to hit to a point where we are starting to get those hard numbers that certainly financial people are starting to see those cost benefits coming through. And I think that's a really wonderful aspect of the future for us. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Alexander, where, you know, the world of work is changing and there are people coming in now that aren't like me that, you know, we when it was very different when I entered the workforce. Um, it was total commitment. And if you didn't like it, they'd find somebody else. But I'm excited to see the new balances coming in. And I think, you know, people my daughter's ages uh, are going to be much better off uh, in this world. Lee, to you. Man, there's been so much good stuff thrown around here today. To Monty's point, it's ridiculous how complicated we make some of these things. Pay systems and whatever else. It's supposed to be easy because it's online, but it's not easy if you can't find it. And, you know, I know that, you know, my organization, we every year have a, I mean, it's 
you know, online training, but you, you take a course every year on time reporting. And it gives you the policies and the codes and those things that you need to do to take whatever it is that you're taking. And so that's that's always very helpful. And and uh, of course, I've got a good I've got a good manager that if I go, what code do I use for this? He can just give it to me. So that's helpful. <laughs> and and you know, it was interesting what Jeremy was saying. Uh, I can remember when when I was still in the Navy, I, I was I was at that burnout point, and I mean, I was done basically. And uh, there was a lot of stuff going on, and I didn't feel like I could take that time. And my boss went, no, you're going to take a couple of days off. And uh, he told me not only was he directing me to take a couple of days off, but he was calling my wife to make sure I couldn't get out of it. <laughs> because at that time, I was working, uh, I was a, what we call a geographic bachelor. I was working somewhere other than where my family was, so I had to travel home. And he's like, nope, I'm going to make sure you show up at the house. So I'm calling your wife and letting her know you're coming. Like you dirty son of a gun, but uh, <laughs> but I needed it, and I got home and I, I I I decompressed for a few days, and I came back ready to go, and it was great. But you know, to kind of tie some of this stuff together, we were talking about the the difference, what we need to do going forward versus how we do things, and so many of these things. You know, we talk about oh, we're gonna we're gonna give a gym, we're gonna have bean bags, we're gonna have all these things. Well, a lot of that's just reactive. Yeah, you know, our turnover is high. How can we stop it? Give them bean bags. That'll do it. And, you know, why? Well, I saw Google did it. And we don't actually do any research. I mean, this is, I mean, we haven't said this today. This is why an I.O. comes in handle. To be proactive instead of reactive. To actually plan these things out. To do some research. To bring in an I.O. or somebody who's actually got some expertise in these things. And go, okay, you got a culture issue. You've got a morale issue. You've got a turnover issue. you got all these things. And guess what? They're all hooked together. It's all systemic. What can we do to stem the tide? And it's going to take, it's painful, and it is. But if we plan this out, we can minimize the disruption. We can minimize the cost because we're going to actually plan it. And so do, do we do we put a gem on, on our campus here? Or do we, you know, give a, a, a credit towards a gym membership? You know, we do we... Do we get a? Do we start a walking club at lunch? You know, what do we? What how do we do these things, and what can we do that's going to give us the best benefit? And you know, do something crazy like involve the employees. Okay, so for your quality of life, what is what are your suggestions that we could do this? That we could do this a little bit better. And depending on your organization, you may have to go to to Johnny's desk and pull up a chair and go, "All right, talk to me," because they're not going to fill out that little card and put it in the comment box. You may not be able to pull people into focus groups because they may all just look at each other and not talk. You you have to understand what your culture is, and you you know you have to start with the end in mind. Where do we want to go? And that's so often what we do is we just start we start throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks, instead of actually going what is it that we want, and then then you can work back from from there and figure out options, and then you can look at the things like the cost and the benefit and whatever else. Because, I mean, turnover is a huge problem, and it's hugely expensive that people don't always consider how much it costs. Uh, so, Linda Ann and I were chatting in the chat earlier, you know, you think employees are expensive, try replacing them. Because you're probably going to have to pay the new one more, and on top of the downtime, the training, the da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I mean, th this project that I'm on right now, for, for my team, the, the training and onboarding pipeline is six to eight weeks. Nice. So if somebody resigns, that puts me way behind. 
So I got to try to keep them on board and keep them doing what they're doing and, you know, try to, you know, to do the pipeline before it becomes an emergency because it, it snowballs. One guy leaves, everybody gets more work. Another guy leaves, everybody gets more work. Another guy leaves, everybody gets more work. All of a sudden people are like, screw this, it's not worth it because they're doing three times as much work because, you know, I've got, well, I've got people in the pipeline. Yeah, but, you know, that's going to be another two weeks. And uh, yeah, it can it can get out of hand in a hurry. Well, you you make it sound very easily, but but am am I going to need to get an IO psychologist in? Because it sounds to me like you know I'm going to need an IO psychologist to sort of map this transition that the organization is going to go through, so that we actually really do start focusing on that staff. Well, easy is a relative term. Let, let's face it: what somebody considers easy and fun, somebody else is going to consider excruciating. But the key is if you do, you know, it's going to cost you a lot less money ultimately to pay someone who knows what they're talking about to come in for a short term, you know, do an analysis, look around, figure out the things, go, here's stuff based on research. Here's some things that you could consider and get and give potential courses of action. I mean, get two or three options. You could do this. And this is kind of where we're looking what's going to happen or this. And, you know, looking at how much you're going to get bang for your buck and, here you go. Here's the resources. Here's a plan. Here's here's the phone number of the gym up the street. And hey, look, they offer corporate memberships. Did you know that? Things like that, as opposed to going, I'm going to call Linda Ann and HR and say, hey, come up with something. Linda Ann's going, I got 200 people. I don't have time for your your nonsense. So yeah, it, you're gonna. It's going to cost you less in the long run to pay for a consultant to come in and actually help you with this plan that you can implement. In the next, I don't know, six to 18 months, as opposed to foundering around inside and trying to figure it out. And then, you know, a year from now, maybe you got a plan and you spend all this time and people are just, uh, you know, and the people who even started the thing don't even work here anymore. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Linda Ann, let's go to you. As as Lee had said, yeah, there's a whole lot of good conversation going on. So a couple of things. One, to, to what Jeremy had mentioned earlier about getting people to use time outside of work to become motivated again and refreshed to come back to work and and be productive. I think it's really one way to do that is to help people make sure they clearly identify what that particular goal or goals are for themselves. And when I have people do performance review programs and processes, Part of that is not only are you developing, you have your performance expectations based on your job description, you have a career development plan that you've worked out for yourself and work with your manager, how you want to develop professionally. But there was also a piece there where they were expected to set at least one personal goal. And it sometimes it was to hike a 14er. And then I've had people put down that they wanted to be a better dad and just defining that and writing it down is a big step in making it happen. And if you as their manager knows that, like say for example, take the the example of the of the individual with who wanted to be a better dad and you see him or her sitting there, no, him would be a dad. Um <laughs> uh, at six o'clock, you know, an hour late, 6 30, and you go up, how's this helping you be a better dad? Right. And you but you have to know. And so those as as your leaders, the quality of your leadership is a function of how much you're paying attention to that particular 
aspect of your leadership. Are you aware of what their personal goals are? Do you remember? And are you meeting with them regularly to do that milestone check? That's part of your job as a leader. When you took on that responsibility and why they're paying you, quote, the big bucks to do that. And so that's one piece, you know, setting up systems and processes is is one thing, but making this all work is about that personal connection and how much you're paying attention. And to the situation with Imani, when you've got benefits for your employees and you see them under stress and you know there's a benefit or you should know there's a benefit there that you can be preemptive about that stress and getting them home for a day or two or a long weekend before they actually get sick because that that mental health they will actually prevent someone from getting sick making sure that you have them use it that's your job is to make sure that you know what's there within your capabilities to perform as a leader and to what oh to what you said tom about the changing of work work is always has been changing for Change work will be a constant change from now and as long as we know it. So get ready and prepared and good at functioning within and administering optimal change. (laughs) And just to what Lee was saying as well, if care has been taken to identify the organizational's goals and strategies, then whenever you're trying to motivate or get somebody to do something, always bringing it back on how this functions and and creates that focus for how it helps the organizational move move, organization move forward as a whole and collaboratively. So that was a mouthful. It was, and it was a great mouthful. Thank you very much for that. Kayla, welcome to Work Cookie. Let's go to you. Hi, I'll try to be quick since we're at time, but I wanted to build off of Amani's comment about not knowing about a benefit, um, which I think speaks to a larger theme of inclusion and benefits designed to help Um, support employee wellness. So of course, everyone needs to be aware of these benefits for them to achieve the desired effect. But the benefits also need to be communicated with cultural competence that recognizes that different people are going to interpret them differently. Some people don't even recognize that mental health is a real thing. um, And some cultures have stronger stigma, stigma surrounding it. So perhaps offering mental health days with that terminology would not get utilized. So then education might be necessary first. So beyond just awareness of a benefit, employees need to feel able to use them, which requires leadership to demonstrate that it's not only okay to do that, but encouraged, as Lee was talking about earlier. And I certainly hope as, you know, as Linda Anio talks about, you know, cultural shifts, that that's one of the things that's accepted, you know, uh, right across the board. Uh, thank you very much for that. Uh, Dr. Kelly, I did see your hand up. Did you want to say something quick? Yeah, I was just going to kind of build off of some of what Linda Ann said about, you know, we tend to kind of take this macro perspective of like, what program can we implement? What benefit can we provide when it can be just really valuable, you know, to have that conversation with a person and see what they're struggling with, you know, day to day, what resources can I provide for you today? What demands are you really struggling to meet right now? Can I take something off your plate? 
So they're not going home and worrying about it that they didn't get that done today. Or maybe they need to leave a little bit early to go pick their kid up from school and they're stressed about asking their manager to do that. So I think it can go a long way to really if managers really just focus on, you know, building that trust, building that relationship with their employees so that employees feel comfortable to come to them about, you know, their stresses and and demands and and being able to ask for those resources that they need. Because sometimes managers don't know. They don't know kind of what's going through their employees' minds every day and they don't know what demands they're struggling with. So it is really kind of valuable to build that relationship, you know, and just kind of focus on what can we provide to this individual today, instead of, you know, taking that macro perspective of maybe we can implement a program in a year, but we can really help that individual today if we just sit down and, you know, have that conversation. Yeah. Thank you very much for that. And Jeremy, you know, that's something that you've often spoken about is the need for managers to get out of the office and actually have conversations with, you know, their employees on the front line and, and actually get to know them. And so, um, you know, once again, here we are, another great discussion. Uh, this could have been a two-hour podcast. This this conversation has been so good. Uh, but let's throw it back to you. Yeah, what you, what you mentioned about, you know, getting out and talking to people, it's the uh, Abraham Lincoln way, uh, leading by walking around. You, you read every, almost every leadership book on Lincoln, you'll, you'll see that. So Kayla, who just spoke, is leading. Uh, so we have our IO Psych Job Seeker Meetup on January 1st. Yes, we are starting and going hard on the first day of the year. It's not till 6 p.m. Eastern, so everyone should have a uh, chance to uh, rest and get your electrolytes in by then. We've also got our momentum session on the 2nd and then next Thursday. So our theme for January for the podcast topics is the collective case decoding group interactions at work. And the first one is called Decision Dynamics, Igniting Group Choices for Success. And that will be on January 4th. Seabock.com slash events. You can see all the upcoming ones. I think our podcast right now, I think we're about three to four weeks ahead in terms of publication. So if you're listening to this, it is the new year already. And for all of you here, happy new year. Uh, Wonderful weekend. Have a safe and happy new year. Tom. You have a safe and happy new year. Well, thank you. Um, very I'm going to let you. I'm going to let you finish and count it out today. All right. Thank you very much, Jeremy. And it has been a great 2023 here at Seabock. As I've said often, this is the best part of my week. I get to spend an hour talking to really smart people um, and sharing the future of work, and it does look sunny. Uh, so I hope that everyone had a great 2023, and that you have a great and even better 2024. And work cookie changes the world. And with that, I think it's a time to end this podcast and 2023. So thanks everyone for attending and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At seabock.com.